I'm Todd Dills, and on this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, we're going to be listening in on a conversation I had with owner-operator Gary Bukes, who leased the Landstar, has been, uh, been trucking for you know, quite a long time, uh, almost a couple decades, uh, following a, a career as a, as a small farmer uh, and uh, in the livestock feed business as well. Uh, but he's, you know, the evolution of his uh, career, uh, particularly with Landstar as an owner-operator, sort of follows the evolution of the Landstar load board into, uh, you know, an ever more intricate and uh, system that gives you plenty of opportunity to you know, survey the market and, uh, and and book loads. He ran dedicated to one particular agent for quite a long time, or, or at least mostly dedicated. But today he's running freight with a good mix of different agents and. Uh, and uh, the way he sort of thinks about profitability in terms of uh, terms of daily income as, as a sort of a unit of time rather than miles necessarily. He tends to pick regional loads, uh, specializes in and around his home, hometown of Bloomington, Illinois, mostly staying um, a lot of times within Illinois, but getting out sometimes. I picked up with him down in Nashville after he had a uh, an eight-stop load uh, pro- just prior to the July 4th holiday. Uh, delivering fireworks to roadside stands in and around uh, you know, the area of Kentucky just north of Nashville. Proved to be uh, quite an interesting day for him and, and quite a well a profitable load for sure. One more thing I will say about Gary before uh, we let, uh, let the conversation get rolling here is that uh, he's a guy that if you spend any time running with him uh, and you know, listen to the way he speaks about uh, the way he thinks about the safety out on the road, He's he's uh, he's a guy that uh, will, will change the way you drive, uh, at least from my perspective. Um, I've always been sort of very cognizant of following distance as, a, as an auto driver uh, over the years. But you know, after um, after listening with him, uh, running with him, and uh, uh, you know, just spending I think the better part of uh, two days uh, uh, around him and talking about issues of safety. I think it's. Uh, I, I really do think it, my 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 trip back in a rented four wheeler was uh, definitely noticed a, a difference in the in the, in the way that I uh, I chose to drive uh, not only around big trucks but around my uh, my four wheeled uh, compatriots as well, if you will. Uh, one thing he likes to say, I, I know I heard him say it several times over the course of our of our time uh, out on the road, is that you know the only thing you really have in, in control. Uh, full control of on a highway is uh, you know that distance between you and the vehicle in front of you. So when I started in Landstar, not being a, being a new owner operator, I didn't understand freight lanes, like how to pick my own loads. Even though I had been in business before, it just was it was a different business than I had scenario. So my first year, basically. I was a little bit of what I called a tourist truck. I would see a load and I'd go, oh, I just wanted to go there. Let's try that. You know, that looks good. But I didn't really understand what I was going to do on the other end. How I was going to connect loads. How the, you know, the profit and loss. How was I going to figure profit and loss? And I did look a little bit more at gross dollars and not at net dollars. So after the first year at that end, when I was doing my taxes, I realized I needed to change the dressing. And that's when I came up with 
invented the business format that I still use today. That format consists of a couple of different parts. When I think about being a truck driver, being an owner-operator, what's my limiting asset? What's my first limiting asset? And it's time, because of the law I've got 24 hours to work with. How am I going to use it? Because I can't get it back. I take a calculation where my earnings for a year are over my cash expenses. So, for example, I want to earn $60,000. I'm going to use a simple calculator. I want to earn $60,000 and I want to work 200 days in a year. So 200 into 60, that's $300 a day. That's above my cash expenses before taxes. So in that 24-hour period, I want to look for a load, a combination of loads, that will net me cash 300 in income. I don't worry about anything that happened before. I don't worry about what's going to happen afterward. I have to focus on this 24-hour period. Right. And if it's a load, so I look for a load that picks up and delivers today first. And if I find something that comes close or meets that expectation or connects to something that continues on, that's a potential selection that I want to take. If it's a load that I can't, if I can't find a load like that, I go to the next step, which is pick up today, deliver tomorrow morning. And then I just build them. But each 20, each time, I divide that by, or use the calculation of $300 profit. Now, that's just my example. Right. Sometimes, in some markets, it might be $400 a day. Sometimes, it's $350. It just depends. Now, if I have a day where I clear $500 or $600, that doesn't mean I can say to myself, well, I don't have to work as hard tomorrow. I don't have to work at all tomorrow. It's nothing like that. Okay, so I just, I worked on that 24-hour time frame. But I didn't realize that when I first started. And that's been a formula that has been very effective for me. You were thinking less about time before that. You were just kind of looking at um, gross dollars and miles things that we traditionally, a lot of people traditionally talk about when they Right. Or listening to other drivers talking about what they were making in a week. Right. You know, hey, I'm doing $5,000 a week. But what I found was I would be in the Landstar office. There would be three, four drivers sitting one, two, three days, and they kept saying, I'm looking for a load that will gross $5,000. They wouldn't take anything shorter that would have been profitable. They just kept waiting for that big load. So by the end of the week, a lot of times, they were left in a position where they almost had to take what was left over rather than being, you know, they could have run something shorter each day, but they, they just wanted to run a big gross load. Um, so that's kind of how I developed part of my business. Particularly interesting too when I, when I think about the load that you delivered yesterday that we were talking about earlier, the uh, uh, load of fireworks with eight stops. Right. Um, 
lot of people would look at that and say, you know, that seems a little bit aggravating. You know, how long is it going to take me at each of these stops? But, but uh, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, you told me that uh, that, that got you. That probably beat your uh, three uh, three hundred dollar a day uh, target or whatever it is. It's, Absolutely, I made essentially I made nearly a week's income, net income, on that one load in one day. So now my week, so I've got the money loan uh, and in the truck, a thousand in cash income. This loan we're taking back to will leave uh, 700 minus six. Uh, it'll be about 480 from be about two hundred and twenty dollars profit. Okay. Okay. Picked up, dropping hook today. Delivered tomorrow morning. Okay. And then the third load for the week, delivering Thursday, taking about five hours total time. And the net on that will be over three hundred dollars. So even though today's load didn't meet the expectations, it got me back to the position for the next, the stronger sure. market. That's the market thing, right. thing, understanding where the rate is. So that's what I didn't understand when I first started. So um, part of my strategy is to have my next load book before I get empty. It allows me to make a calmer decision and stay safer. I don't, and if I don't have a load book, like if I deliver tomorrow and I don't have a load, I'm going to lose a day, and on the average, I'm going to lose the whole 24 hours. So that's that lost asset. So now I haven't lost any assets. When I get done with the third load, if I want to go home, I'm in a position I can go home if I want to. So. Yeah, you mentioned that you were in business before this. I know we've talked a little bit about this before, but... Uh... Tell us about, uh, about how you got into uh, hog farming with your dad on the, on the farm there in Northern Ohio, right? Right, in northern, north central Ohio, just west of Cleveland. Uh, our family were dairy farmers for generations. And I had the idea that we needed to diversify as a family. And so I asked my father about going into raising, raising corn. And he didn't really know anything about it. He said if I wanted to, he would go sign a note. So at 13, he took me to farm credit and I presented the plan and the loan officer agreed it was a sound enough plan that he would loan me $800. And so that was like going into my freshman year of high school. And by the time I was a senior, I actually had more cash income my senior year than my father did with his dairy farmer. It <laughs> kind of upset him, I think. <laughs> so, but we, um, it was, you know, part of that was I didn't have a lot of overhead. And at that time, I didn't realize how important that was. But after going through some other businesses between high school and now, I realized how important our fixed cost, is, how important that is in determining our ability to be successful in business. Well, when we look at rates, for example,
example, everyone, for the most part, what I hear is, we've got to get rates up if we're going to be profitable. But what I see is, we have to control our costs if we're going to be profitable in the long run. If we don't control our costs, we're the only ones who can control that. And, and you can't make up for too high a cost. You cannot overcome that. And I think you said earlier, uh, good point to be made. In a lot of space, you, you're never going to have, as a one truck, one robber, you're never going to have a lot of control over our rates. Right. You don't, you can, if you're an owner operator, you can select, you know, the load you pick. I mean, you, you've got that. It's either work or don't work. That's your control. Uh, but with a lower cost, for me, it doesn't mean I haul for less. It means that I can be uh, more selective and actually takes a lot of pressure off. So where I don't have to run five to six days a week to pay my bills, I can run, you know, two and a half days to pay my bills. So I've got a lot more flexibility in my selection of what I haul. And have a level of patience where someone who has a you know eight hundred dollar truck payment a week they have to move every day just to move just to pay that truck payment. So. This is a good good time to note that Gary's um, hauling in a two thousand Freightliner uh, Century. Right. Long since paid off. Uh, your first experience in trucking, uh, 
that uh, I'm thinking about that that uh, truck you were telling me about earlier that you found out in the yard with a tree growing through. <laughs> yeah. When we were farming and we needed a bigger truck, and I do nothing about large trucks, to be honest. Great trucks, farm trucks, yes. But um, I found a little single axle tractor, and it was at a local business in southern Illinois. It had been sitting there so long they had a tree growing between the axle and the frame. And I talked to the owner and asked him if they would sell it. It was a little white cab over. And uh, he, he kind of smiled. He said, well, if you want to buy it, I'll sell it. And I think I paid about five, it was either like 500 or $1,000 for the truck. And we, I had a friend go and we towed it and we got it started. And uh, we drove it to his shop. He was just a backyard mechanic. And we worked on it and uh, had to put new exhausts and just different things. And uh, got it going. And that's how I taught myself to drive a large truck. Even though it wasn't that large, but I got my license in the uh, you know, mid 80s before the CDL. And, uh, you know, it, we were hauling our own products, our own livestock, and our own feed, and, and so on. And then I got a chance to get on with Roadway in St. Louis area, and that's where I got my experience commercial driving, and learning how to do pickup and delivery in the city, and how to get around and maneuver, and have the confidence to do the things I can do today. Union, union to owner-operator. Yep. <laughs> well, How'd that transition go? When I was, you know, when I went to work at Roadway, they were Teamsters, and that was in the union. And, you know, financially, I mean, they were, it was fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember when I decided to leave there, I had uh, other business I had going, and uh, we had friends, and they are like, are you crazy? And I said, I just don't think I can afford to stay here. You know, in hindsight, you know, maybe I could have, you know, I looked at it, but I had other visions of what I wanted to do. I've been an entrepreneur most of my life since I was young, and, uh, but what I learned about the union, that I look back now, and I think that it would really help our industry in a lot of ways, I think we had safer drivers, and one of the reasons we did is... Those union jobs, they were very valuable. So people, they took care of it, and they took care of the company more than you maybe people realize, and they were loyal. Because they had, you know, they had value there, they had a pension there, they had a long-term investment. And the other part was, they kept people in the company in check from abusing drivers, abusing them on the rules, and so on, and I think that we lack a lot of that. Uh, now we've got the company drivers. There, there's no, they have no representation within a company. Uh, it's not just pay, it's the whole package. Uh, you know, companies say they want to retain a driver. Well, what are they really offering them long term? I question if they really want to retain drivers. The way they, it's not just how they treat them. It's the complete package. I think there's some things missing that are glaring, glaring holes in their business plan for long-term retention. So, for 
example, I look at one of the things that really helped retention in, uh, in the union companies was the pension program. Yeah. You know, retirement savings. I mean, pension is a yeah. pension is a guaranteed uh, to one degree or another. Right. Uh, but retirement benefit. And maybe it's maybe the companies don't go back to that type of program, but more of you know. And there are some 401 programs, but the education of drivers on what those mean, how they work, how valuable that is if they stay, the matching. Like when I worked at uh, the regional company out of Bloomington, you know, if we put in a certain percentage, they matched 50%. But even then, there were a lot of drivers who said, well, I couldn't afford to put it in. I can't afford it. I'm like, you can't afford not to. It's like they're handing you 4% more money every year. Uh, I look at that. I look at the per diem pay way companies are doing. I think that drivers need to get educated on how per diem works, how that affects their overall lifetime earnings, uh, what their options are. I think that if if a company says they're going to pay you per diem, they should pay you per diem the full rate every day they have you away from home. When a company pushes um, the per diem pay program and they, they pay you that reimbursement, that can hurt your long-term lifetime earnings. Because it ends up uh, it ends up reducing the amount that you're putting in Social Security, which is going to come back to you in the end of the day. It reduces that. It hurts your credit rating uh, and so on. I worry about, and this has been an ongoing problem, purchase programs when I hear drivers tell me constantly I, I ask them why do you go with a lease purchase with a company you were a driver for and the response I get is well they tell me I'll do better and I'm thinking to myself that makes no sense because if that owning that truck was so valuable why would they want you to own it why would they want to own it and you need to think really, really hard about it. I'm not saying you can't make it work, but I think that um, the education, what, what a driver needs to know going in, because we've got too many failures uh, in that system, and there's uh, no safety net. And I've heard too many uh, horror stories about what companies, they'll get their payment, and then they reduce miles at the end of that pay period. So on. They kind of hold you captive because they control you financially. And once you get into it, it's almost impossible to get out of it. It really is. So, and that all affects safety. That's one of the reasons I'm concerned about it. So when people are not profitable, they take risks and they drive in ways to push the limits, both speed and time, and that affects safety so much. So. Rules and regulations. You just mentioned speed. Yeah. We were talking about the speed limit rule. Uh, not not a big fan. No, not at all. I, I think having a speed limit rule, speed limiter rule is would be one of the biggest mistakes they can make. Because I see it as uh, encouraging drivers to speed in lower speed zones as our experience shows us. Uh, that more than anything, and 
also, and I think it encourages people to tailgate more, to actually drive closer and closer to each other, because you get lulled into this expectation that everyone's going to go the same speed, um, with the idea that everybody can stop at the same speed, and that's just not true, because you've got all your reaction times between the vehicles. So, um, I just, I, I think that it's a, it's a bad, it's an idea being pushed um, by some people who have an interest in, as they say, leveling the playing field on the miles per hour um, in the hours of service. I, I just, I'm totally against it. And most of our drivers and most of our trucks are not, I don't believe, run into the maximum use of their hours of service most weeks anyway. Um, what will really help us is a better, stronger, ongoing, continuing education of how to prioritize our decision making, um, how to uh, learn the hours of service, um, what actually we can and cannot do. Uh, if, if companies would have a little more confidence in communicating with the driver, so the company driver, communicate with that driver about what their options are for routes and loads, uh, I think they would be surprised. Uh, it wouldn't take too long. They would be surprised at how many drivers would be able to help them improve their efficiency and become safer and more profitable. For example, um, drivers delivering tomorrow in the Quad Cities. Well, before he gets to the Quad Cities, instead of waiting for him to get empty before they tell him what he's doing, he can't plan his hours, he can't plan his rest, he can't plan anything. So that's what they currently most of them do. But if they would communicate with that driver and say, we've got option A, B, or C after you deliver in Quad Cities, which one fits the way you feel, your hours of service, um, and some other things, you know, just overall. And I think what you would find out is that it wouldn't take long and a majority of drivers would learn to help them select the most efficient routes. And they would have happier drivers, more efficiency, and that would help retention. But companies are afraid to give up that control. Uh, nobody knows how a driver feels other than the driver. So, imagine the anxiety a driver has. He knows he's pulling in to make a delivery. He has no idea what he's doing. What's doing next, right? So, they say, well, just rest. Well, now you got to, uh, you know, it's like, what am yeah. I going to be doing? Yeah, how right? long am I going to be resting? Yeah, and where if he knew, you know, before he stopped, or the, the day before, what, I mean, it might change periodically. It changes from me periodically, but in general, uh, plan so much better, you know, the parking thing. You can plan where you're going to stop, where you're going to park. You can plan um, your rest break, your 30-minute break. You can, you know, and it's 
this is just the uh, what I've learned is it's through the Landstar system because we do that selection that I've learned this when I go into a day and I'm delivered and don't have a load, even in my level of experience, I have some anxiety about what I'm doing next. So, uh, so we're sitting on this one now and you uh, don't deliver to tomorrow morning, but you already have the next one booked. I have the next one booked and I've got plenty of hours in between. Uh, You'll have probably the one after that, so done by the end of that one. I select one after that tomorrow, and that will finish out my week. If you'd like your thoughts to be included in a featured podcast, call Overdrive Radio's podcast voicemail line to weigh in at 530-408-6423. And uh, be sure to state your name and base state with any message. Thanks for listening.